0: what up everybody aloha it is joe aka the curvy geeky fangirl and i am back again with my curvy geeky fangirl podcast aka cgf recaps basically this is my space and the place for me to recap all the tv and film that i've caught throughout the week sometimes books i have a book this week okay not a book i actually read but my the latest my hero academia manga has come out I haven't had a chance to read it. I do this thing where I read the last manga before I read the new one so that I'm refreshed. Cause these things don't come out fast for some crazy reason, they take forever. Like every three months they come out. Anyway, another rant, but eventually this book's gonna get put into the fray. That's going to be happening. But basically, what I'm going to be talking about in this podcast, really going in depth on, is my DC TV. You guys know I watch Supergirl, Black Lightning, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Titans. I'm also going to be talking about Midnight Texas. And I watched the Neo Yokio Pink Christmas Special. I know some people love it. I know some people hate it. It's very rare to meet that individual who's in the middle. I'm not going to say I'm in the middle, but I definitely don't hate it, so... I kind of have to, by association, put it in the like column. I will get into it. All of that is going to be talked about. Uh, as you guys already know, you can catch me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. I'm also the fashion editor and, or no, lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Thought process. Lifestyle and fashion editor for full on for all nerds. Can't even talk. .com. Uh So some articles of mine actually came out. I got published not too long ago. There's more articles in the works coming out soon, you know. And uh, so be on the lookout for those. Um, I finally have some ideas for original content for my website. I've said it before, but I'm really gonna follow through with it this time. So look out for that as well. So all of that's going down on Twitter, Instagram, it's still under Kirby Geeky Fangirl. I'll, I show up pretty easily. So be on the search, be on the lookout. Um, and more, what else is happening? Oh, you may notice that there are crazy longer ads happening in my podcast. Let me explain. So, Anchor has created this program where you can sign up to get sponsorships. Sponsorships mean money. It means money for me to do more of the fun stuff I want to do, potentially. Listen, your girl already made a dollar. That's how much I am thriving right now in this podcast community, (laughs) Not to toot my own horn, for somebody who thought they were gonna make nothing and then make a dollar, listen, listen, it's baby steps, but I'm excited. So you're gonna be hearing more of these sponsorship ads kinda coming out in the woodwork. Right now, pickings are slim. I'm kinda taking what I can get for right now. I will say that I'm never going to sign on to something that I do not believe in at all. So that much truth at least. That much ethics at least so but we'll see so if you're wondering like why the heck I'm talking for so long about something that's what's going on it's sponsorship ads guys <laughs> they help pay the bills your girl needs help paying the bills that's why all of us are doing things just kidding now some people are just doing this for the love of things I definitely started doing this for the love of things but I mean if I can get help paying these bills your girl's got student loans so that said all that's happening I'm going to be jumping into the recap Supergirl first, per usual, right after this. All right, guys, so I'm jumping right into Supergirl with the latest episode that I caught. So you guys know that I do this basically a week after everything has already played. So keep up with me. Um, oh, and before I get to mention it, because I didn't mention it in the intro, spoilers, I'm probably going to be saying this after each little segment because I forgot to say it in the intro. So spoilers, spoiler, spoilers. If you haven't seen Supergirl, pause here, catch up, come back. Let's discuss. So Supergirl, uh, basically it was the Nia saga for the latest episode that I caught. <laughs> okay, I understand the big deal that Nia represents. Represents. As a comic character uh, and diversity. We're looking at uh, representation in media. Nia Long nia long yeah well her too her too but nia no there we go nia no a big time deal right now big time deal first trans superhero ever on tv on the big screen kudos to the actress playing her because she is killing it i'm just not a fan of how they're writing this character they introduce her as like this quirky Kara type-esque doppelganger which at first was unnerving and then kind of became cute until we got into like the speeches. I can't let go of that episode where it is Nia who tells Jimmy that he needs to wake up and say something before everything else goes crazy because of these children of liberty everywhere. Nia, Nia, Nia has to tell Jimmy. Okay, anyway. Focus, this episode. So this episode kind of went more into detail about why Nia's having these dreams and why she's hesitant to speak on them. Granted, it was a shit show of an explanation, but here we go. Why don't I think it was a shit show of an explanation? They gave us so much exposition in like the first five minutes to explain where Nia came from, why she's having the dreams she is, and what she's gonna do moving forward. Completely unnecessary. They could have built this up. They literally dropped the fact that she is sleeping at work randomly and then didn't explain anything for a good episode, potentially too. She was just, she just went from being quirky to being kind of speechy to sleeping at work and lying to people about it. For what reason? I mean, unless you read the comics, which I had to go back and like look at the Wikipedia or like the, the DC Wiki to find out what they're trying to do here. Unless you did that or already know the comics ahead of time. If you're just a viewer watching this, you're like, "What the fuck? Like what does this have to do?" And you can't you can't binge this. This is something that comes on weekly, so you're just like, "What is happening? What is happening?" Okay, so basically the explanation they give us about Nia is that she is an alien. She is from an, a planet, I don't remember what she called it, but it's close to null. it's close to the word Nal, which is probably where she gets her last name from. Um, and the females in her family, the women in her family, all have a type of honoromancy, un- honor, I wrote it down and tried to spell it out, I can't even, but basically she has dreams about the future. She can dream about the future, We find out its potential futures, so these aren't futures that are set in stone these are futures that can come to fruition uh but basically she can stop them if she wants to that's what we learned from this episode uh but okay so one of the nice highlights about the nia storyline that we got her her roommate she has a fantastic roommate who didn't get a name i would love to see more of this roommate i would love this roommate to have a name I loved her. I love that she's just like in her robe, hair up. Yes, sis. Yes, sis. With the hair in the silk. That's how we keep curls. I loved it all. She's sitting there in her nice little silk. It looks like a silk kimono robe situation. Hair up as most black women need to do. Keep these curls intact watching her friend sleep restlessly. Like, <laughs> saying nothing. Nia wakes up from her nightmare, looks at her roommate, and it's just like, thanks for nothing. You're supposed to let me sleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And her roommate is quick to come back at her in a loving way, but in a way that completely reads her. And she's just like, listen, you needed some sleep. I'm not gonna be responsible for you going crazy whatever. And like deal with it. Like that's it. (laughs) She leaves. I love her. I love her. We got a whole two seconds, but I can't wait for more. Hopefully we get more roommate. I'm really hoping we get more roommate. And I also hope that she's also an alien of some sort with powers. Probably not going to happen. Fingers crossed. So we have that happening. We got to see some viable chemistry between her and Brainy. They have not so heavily hinted that Brainy has a history with the Nalls of some sort. He knows Nora, which is again, a character I don't know about, but apparently Nora is a descendant of Nia's and she too had future dreams at some point. I don't know if Brainy and her got really, really close, like dated or just best friendship. Or whatever but him and nia there's definitely vibes happening there like heavy-duty vibes he's super nervous there's a whole point where he like when he strolls into nia's apartment trying to look all cool he clearly slides off of the counter and falls to the ground i loved all of it i love the awkwardness but i don't know if he's attracted to her like if they're going down a romantic path for this or if he's just nervous around her because she reminds him so much of his friend from the future it's It's a little ambiguous there. So I'm not sure what they're doing, but it's cute. It's adorable. I'll take it. Anything with Brainy, I'm in. I'll watch it. I was a little confused as to uh, why we didn't get a Supergirl reveal. They take Nia on this crazy trip. She talks about the the future dream she had. They take her on this crazy trip to go and try to find out more about this dream, right? So they're in the midst of Children of uh, Corn territory. It's not Children of Liberty. They are straight Children of the Corn. So... They're there. Cara's trying to get more answers. She's doing her best Clark Kent by pretending to be like this fumbling idiot who just kind of happens to fall onto these other Children of the children of Liberty people, badly tries to say that she's one of them. Of course they capture her, which is what she wanted. Uh, we've got Brainy who's supposed to be like, oh no, what is happening to our friend? Like playing along. But of course Nia's not in on it. So she's like, we've got to save her. And they throw themselves into the middle of whatever is happening. They go through all of that. They She sees all of that go down. Homegirl has future dreams. She saw Brainy turn straight into an alien. How has she not clued together that Kara is Supergirl? I didn't, I also, I don't understand why Kara wasn't like, listen, now that we sharing secrets and whatnot, I'm Supergirl. Like what, she's told so many other people. It's not the best kept secret that Kara is Supergirl. A lot of people have figured out that she's Supergirl. A lot of people all, they're just living with this knowledge right now, walking around National City. Like, so I don't understand why we didn't just have her be like, and Nia, I too an alien from another planet. Guess what? I'm Supergirl. I don't get it. I didn't understand what the problem was. But uh, anyway, moving on. Alex and the DEO. Uh, it's gonna be pretty short and sweet there. Mostly we got a lot of I am Agent Liberty back and forth. So this is picking up from... Uh, the idiocy that was Jimmy trying to go and uh, befriend the children of the of Liberty. They caught one of the bigger-ish players in that little compound when they were on that, I want to call it Ellis Island. I don't know what it's called, but the, basically the alien invite, welcome home island, basically. They uh, had taken over that space. They were trying to blow up a building. they were trying to kill Kara. Nothing worked. And they managed to capture who we thought was one of the leaders, but um, the, the new leader of the DEO was quick to point out that he is not leader material at all. And you see him kind of like duck his head like, oh man, like, <laughs> like she called him. Like he knew it, but he was hoping she wouldn't say it. And then she did. That was a little funny. But outside of that, like he refuses to answer any questions. He just responds with, to everything with, I am Agent Liberty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Brainy, like I said, stays a highlight. He has the idea. He's referencing all of these movies that he's excited to talk about. He gives a brief shout out to Hook, 1991. Rufio, I know you're listening. He's probably not, but I love you. So that's there. Also, what is this? Oh, oh, they tried to further ex- like showcase how the new vice president turned president, you know, after the unveiling that the actual president was an, an alien. He's just, I don't know if they're trying to make him um, a Trump-esque type of person or what, but they just make him very confusing and also an idiot. Like he gets really mad at the DEO, not because there's children of liberty are still running around causing havoc, but because his poll numbers are down, which is something that's very Trumpian of him. But then he goes on to give a very clear and concise argument to Supergirl, about why she needs to unmask her identity, which I'll get more into in a minute, which was, which actually made sense. So I'm I'm very confused with what we're doing with this vice president, but he's something that happened. Um, Onto the Supergirl having to declare her identity. So basically towards the end of the episode, which again, Sam Witter is killing it as Agent Liberty right now. He gives this speech, mind you, he crazy. He's crazy. He's talking about open xenophobia to anybody who he feels was not born of planet Earth, aka America. Um, but like he, he's spitting this hate continuously. But he's layering it in these logical concepts. So basically, they arrest him. It comes to fruition after some Manchester Black craziness. Uh, they manage to finally capture and confirm that Agent Liberty is Ben Lockwood. Ben, realizing that he's got to continue to turn the page for his insane chapter right now, takes it as an opportunity to create an even bigger platform for himself. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm Agent Liberty. You know, my, you know, my mask is taken off, I'm cards up, talking about how like, you know, the only reason he wore the mask was to protect his family and create a distance between that life and his agent of liberty, whatever's, but now it's all out in the open, but who knows about, and then he turns it on Supergirl, but you know, what about her? We don't know what her deal is. She's here, she's everywhere, supposedly doing good, but no one knows who she really is. And it kind of sticks. It works. It's a good point that he brings up to talk about the hypocrisy and also to further his point about how aliens can't be trusted. Which again, the government now has to be like, damn it, now we gotta look into this. <laughs> and like try to state to the American people who have already been lied to by us, by the way, that this other alien that's working for us is in their best benefit. So the best way to do that is secure trust. And the only way to secure trust, now that Ben Lockwood has put it all up in the streets like that, that we don't know shit about her, is to get this true identity of her. So you see the VP, you know, talking to Kara. A, pause. A, how did Alex and Kara not know that this was coming down the pike? How did they not know that eventually there'd be even more of a microscope for Supergirl to be under, given everything that's going on, this anti-alien rhetoric, all of that. But it kind of culminates and it takes her by surprise when the vice president's like, we need to be more transparent. We need to know what your secret identity is. Kara gives a speech about how, you know, if she unveils that everybody she loves, anybody she's cared about, they're all in danger. And the president basically voices my exact idea, which is tough shit. That's what's happening to everybody else. You ain't special, bitch. Like, so he basically tells her, listen, my family is in like a secret lockdown right now because everybody knows my face, everybody knows my name. I can't hide behind a secret identity and I've gotta be the one at the forefront declaring all this domestic terrorism and taking the hits. And you're telling me, bitch, that somebody who can dodge bullets, you aren't gonna tell me your secret identity? Kick rocks. So basically she's out of the do right now. Another question though, pause. Why was she associated with the do in the first place? I know we needed the Alex and Kara together, you know, to show that sisterly bond to kind of build more of the rapport because uh, unlike Clark, who's got his parents and then later friends to kind of boost around him, when we got introduced to Kara, she was just starting out in National City. She really just only had her sister. So we needed that base as well. Again, I don't know in the comic book land if Alex and all of that is really, really integral to her story or not. But what I do remember about the 90s animated series, was that Supergirl was always a little different than a lot of the superheroes that were around there. A, they harped on her age. She was a teenager when everybody else was like grown-ass adults fighting crime. But because of that, that perspective that they gave her, it was definitely unique to her as a character. And I really enjoyed that. We kind of get it in the Supergirl series we're getting now. All of this to say, I don't know why we needed to also associate her with the DEO when she could have been on her own this whole time. Clark's on his own. He's not associated with a government agency. He literally just does shit by himself. He doesn't even have like a team like she does. It's literally him and his little ice castle. That's it, that's it. I mean, if you wanna talk about the home team, he's got his mom and he's got his dad, depending on where we are in that story, if his dad's dead or not. But he has his home base, basically. He's got his family. He, I mean, later on, he gets Jimmy and all of those other people, Lois, but not, definitely not to the extent that Kara's got this huge ass government ass team. So confusion. What else? We also had Manchester Black versus Ben Lockwood, my favorite part of the episode. Listen, Manchester Black, as corrupt as he is, be speaking a lot of truth though. And I kind of appreciate him for it. I appreciate the fact that he's able to see beyond all of the BS that is building and building and kind of just get to the point of a lot of matters. Yes, his point is to kill Ben Lockwood at some point, but I mean, nobody's perfect. So that being said, I want to know why, well, I know why it took Manchester so long to kill him, but I feel like in real life, Manchester would not have gone through the song and dance that he did when he finally makes it to Ben Lockwood's house. So Manchester figures out Ben Lockwood is the... Agent Liberty. He's the guy responsible for killing his fiance and he wants to make this dude suffer. So he gets in there, he charms his wife, pretends like they're old school buddies. How dumb is his wife though? Because honestly, you see this tall ass black man in a UK t-shirt, or I should say England, an England shirt. I forget what they call their flag. Something. Anyway, trench coat, boots, full accent, And it's just like, yeah, I know your husband from school. And she was like, cool. Like, did he go to Oxford? Like, why was she just like, no, this is, this is sense. This makes sense, absolutely. What's up, welcome, hello. Done. But he's like, just so nice, so nice to her. He keeps threatening to hurt her and threatening to kill her, but he never actually does it, to be fair. He gets the most hands on with Ben. I kind of really liked in his twisted head that he made Ben go and change into his Agent of Liberty outfit, but that pettiness comes back to bite him in the ass later because all it does is like bond Ben and his wife even more, which again, blew my mind. After all of this, Manchester Black going after Ben, they're back and forth, they're fighting. We get to a point where his wife, who her mind must have been in smithereens at this point because she's got a husband who's basically a domestic terrorist. She's got this huge man coming after her husband and trying to kill him. There's Supergirl for some reason also in the mix. And she's trying to make all of this normal, like understand everything that's happening. It gets insane. It gets crazy. There's a whole part where Supergirl gets trapped in nth metal which is supposed to like cement it to the ground. Manchester does it to keep her out of the way. Ben then tries to like harp on it because he tries to kill Manchester Black. So her response is to fly the whole warehouse that they're in uh, just enough to drop it hard enough to shatter the metal. This metal is supposed to be the toughest metal ever. How did a little distance make it? I shatter. I have a thousand. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Um, basically this pair up between Manchester Black and Ben Lockwood, it was a long time coming. And I, honestly, I was kind of shocked it happened as fast as it did. The unveiling, the unmasking, all of that. But I also am very scared to see where this is gonna go. When everything ends with this show, we see, you know, Cara freshly separated from the D.E.O. Her watching as, as, um, well, Manchester Black gets arrested. He's put in jail. And then we see Ben Lockwood, being marched to jail, but his support is growing. Instead of it stopping, Jimmy, again, Dumb Jimmy, gives a speech about how, like, now that the article's out and now that the unmasking is happening, people are gonna realize that he's just crazy and stop the hate. And of course, not. Of course, they're not going to do that. He's an excellent speaker, an excellent speaker, and knows how to work his audience. And I can't fault the plain simple logic he's using to do it which is just scary as hell because this is mimicking exactly what's going on right now it's super creepy and i'm and even this turn this turn they did not have to do i really like the twist that after they get what they want after Kara's huge speech about we can't be like them. We've got to turn them into the authorities and do the right thing. It's biting them all in the ass. It is kicking them all while they're already down because it's just building even more support. It is, the support is swelling and you see that in the turn with Ben's wife. There's a whole moment where Ben looks like he might be done. It's before he gives the speech. Or no, is it right after the speech? It might be right after the speech. Before the speech? Close to that area. He gets out of the car and he looks a little broken. He looks kind of downtrodden. Before Manchester even tried to attack him, he was trying to distance himself from Agent Liberty. His TV show was going good, talking about hate. Uh, he was trying to spend more time with the fam. He's got a son, he's got his wife. And he was getting, it, He was. it was feeling kind of hot being that deep into all of this and kind of losing a lot. But now but it looks like he's lost everything. He gets this glimmer of hope. He's looking at his wife. He's kind of looking pitiful. And then she just starts shouting ignorance, ignorance about how he's, you know, a human activist. Anyway, but it's it's the spark he needed to like re-energize himself and get back into the hateful spirit of things. And then there's a whole moment where he like whispers, knowing Supergirl can full well hear him about how he's gonna see her later. Villain wise, he is knocking it out the park. Ben Lockwood as a villain of any DC super, superhero series right now to me is number one in villainy, number one. He's doing, it's amazing. It's amazing what they're doing with this storyline for him. Everything else, ugh, but this particular storyline, it's keeping me around. I can't wait to see what they're gonna do after this. So that was the mid-season finale. The crossover event is happening probably as I'm speaking right now, which is going, it's a little separate from everything else that's going on with the immediate storylines for each series, so. And then after the crossover event, I think they're taking on a nice, deserved, long break until after the holidays and then kicking it back up, I want to say late January into February. So, but I mean, if this was going to be the last episode to kick it out on and keep you wondering and make you want to come back, this was it. This was it for Supergirl. Woo, so. All that being said, I'm going to be talking about the legends of tomorrow right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about ForAllNerds.com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor, or was a contributor, to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called FanBros.com. They've recently gone through a name change because... This one's just better, and it is called ForAllNerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title. So I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for ForAllNerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. Go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns, and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out forallnerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color, because yes, All of the things and whatnot. Okay, Legends of Tomorrow. (sighs) I feel like I always have to put this preemptively ahead of it to explain it to myself that Legends is not something to take seriously (laughs) because it's a constant mess anytime you watch it. And this episode was nonetheless living to that standard, we had a good 90 storylines happening at the same time. I feel like it was more than usual. I feel like usually there's three core storylines going at any given time. And that may be for all DC shows. But usually I feel like Legends has like, you know, team A going after the big bat. And then you've got a team B, subplot story usually of romantic interest or just personal growth and then you've got like a team c storyline where it's just mayhem happening on the ship and in this last episode it was all over the place i forgot that we're still dealing with what's happening at the time bureau so we're dealing with storylines over there we got mona um we've also got stuff happening with john John Constantine, we're getting more into his backstory. We're finding out who Dez is. He's been like whispering this name and we keep seeing pictures of a gorgeous black man slowly turning and smiling at him. we got answers for that. We've got situations going on with Charlie who's still trying to get her shape-shifting abilities back. And then we've also got stuff happening with, um, what's his face? Oh, Ray, kinda, kinda with Ray. And then a random storyline between what's going on with Ava and um, can't think of his name, the guy who likes fire. Of course I can't think of his name. So anyway, because it's not that important because it's not that, important. Oh, it's Mick, there we go. Mick, Ava and Mick, because why? Because who cares? Sarah Sarah's dating Ava and she wants Ava and Mick to get along because Mick is her family, you know, they're, they've been doing these adventures now for a good two, three years. I don't know why that was important. Anyway, we got all of that. We got all of that. didn't make any sense. Basically, the big bad of the episode was a team trying to catch Mike the Spike. Mike the Spike was a ghost that likes to inhabit puppets and was terrorizing New Orleans. For some reason, they tied in Marie Laveau into this storyline. I thought we were gonna get more of Marie Laveau, but really it was just a showcase that she has a tie to Constantine. She do magic, he do magic. Let's just go ahead and tie it together. Uh, Basically, they made her be a predecessor to his love, a man named Des. John Constantine, in case you did not know, even in the comics, this is comic canon, is basically pansexual. He likes all the things basically all the peoples all the bodies he don't care he likes to have a good time and in Dez's case fine good time can cook like he was hitting all these checklist marks but then um it also resulted in the brutal murder of his boyfriend so in the John storyline all that was happening with Dez so we found out who Dez was we found out how Dez got trapped in hell there was a whole situation where a demon was coming after John. Uh, Dez, trying to help John, gave him a necklace that had been passed down in his family. Apparently it had some sort of repelling magic. So basically it would protect John from any kind of trouble, any kind of cohabitation, possession happening to him. It worked. Unfortunately, did not work for Dez because he gave up this sacred charm. Uh, so apparently the demon took over Dez to get to Constantine and Constantine doing the thing that he does in order to protect the realm and also save himself, got rid of Dez and has been like racked with guilt in the process. There was no way he was going to be able to trap the demon and Dez in hell without also sending Dez to hell. So he's feeling really bad about that and trying to figure out a way to stop that from happening. We find out throughout the show, after he talks to Zari and everything, that this is one of a one of those points where it's a fixed point in time. So he can't change it without terrible ramifications and consequences. And of course, John's like, I don't care. So he makes a deal with Charlie, help me out. I will release you from the trap I have you in. I don't, is she cursed? Whatever, he'll take off that hold on her so she can transform at will. You know, cause she's very scared about aging. And uh, go go from there, save his boyfriend, get Charlie free-ish in a way, and go about his business. And it works and it doesn't work at the same time. He manages to stop Dez from falling for him. So he couldn't stop him from meeting him, but he thought he found a loophole and stopped Dez from saving him. He stops Dez, by Dez not saving him, it means Dez doesn't go to hell. But in the process of that, we see a huge time shift happen. Of course, it probably created a paradox. Everybody ends up kind of frozen in the air at some point. Zari gets turned into a cat, but Charlie can shapeshift. So I mean, somebody won out of all of that clearly we're gonna go back and try to fix all of that but we're not there yet it was nice to see the background story as to why john felt so bad about dez although i'm not gonna lie in the previous season they made it seem like he was huffing and puffing about a kid he couldn't save before and they even mentioned it in that camp episode they did where he's like i'm not losing another kid so maybe that's something we're going back to. Even in the standalone series, Constantine, which is where they got the actor Constantine from. He's from the standalone series that NBC was running for a little bit. They talked about the loss of a kid. So I was a little confused as to why we also had this Dez subplot happening, but you know, sure, okay. But we got answers. We got to know who Des is, why that happened, randomly why he's connected to Marie Laveau, all of that. Uh, what else is happening? Mona, the Mona stuff okay okay so disclaimer i grew up in a polynesian household my mother was born and raised in hawaii so when i hear hawaiian language being mutilated it really really hurts me a lot a lot a lot and that is what's happening in the mona storyline i want to root for mona i want to root for mona I read a lot of reviews about this episode, about Legends of Tomorrow. Shockingly, there's a lot of people who watch it, <laughs> a lot of critics who check it out because it's part of the DC lineup and it is a TV series. It is superheroes, but I'm sure they're just like, what in the world? So, in the Mona storyline, a lot of people, a lot of people find her character grating. She's very sugary sweet. She's always trying to be helpful. She knows an alarming amount about supernaturals and their diets. I love that we haven't questioned it. Like Nick was just, I keep calling him Nick. Nate was just like, I'ma hire her. No explanation as to why she knows all this, none. Anyway, so Mona is having a day, a shitty day. She comes into work, her bike is decked out in Christmas decorations. A for effort, babe. But as she's like about to go like park her bike, this car door swings the fuck open and knocks her straight off her bike and then on top of that she's like she's hurt she's bleeding and the asshole that does it just kind of stares at her and it's like you are gonna have to pay a couple hundos to get this door fixed and she's like what the fuck i guess i'll do it like she just swallows it and she's like you know i don't want to mess up this job i'll just agree to this And i'm just like man i would tell that guy to fuck himself so anyway she's having a shitty day so to help stave off that shitty day when she goes to drop off food for her favorite supernatural creature it's called, it's, okay, so you pronounce it kaupe. It's not copay, like they've been saying. K A U makes up kau sound, okay? Kaupe. Anyway, my minor lesson an annoyance. She goes to visit the kaupe, which is, a lot of people say it's a Hawaiian werewolf. Not really, kind of. I mean, it's a tall, hairy creature. Never was a man. Never was a man. And, they tr- they murder you. Anyway, there's a whole singing thing. Like they make sounds so that you go to check on it and then they kill you. Anyway, they're trying to romanticize this. So they gave him a really hot body. The actor playing the cowpe might be a local boy. He might be from Hawaii. He might be of some sort of Islander descent. Because when he's speaking that Hawaiian, I was like, yo, excellent. So he's doing great. And if you look at the what he really looks like outside of that makeup, oh my God, you guys, he's beautiful. Anyway, that aside, Mona's having a whole moment with him. So like, they're having a whole talk conversation, kind of. He's basically just grunting and growling at first, and but she understands the gist of what he's talking about. And then she notices that he's got this huge gash in his neck. It's a little creepy, and it's a little unnerving. What's happening? So she's like, you know, she gets a little distracted and then she gets back to work. And meanwhile, at the same time, we find out that Gary is feeling Mona. So we knew Gary liked Mona in the earlier parts of the season. They'd have these little run-ins and these awkward flirt sessions. And nobody, neither one, really acted on what was happening. So now Gary has decided he's gonna go for it. He tells Nate that he's been on the on the prowl for Mona, uh, but basically by reading her to her face. Like, I don't, <laughs> it's, Nate tries to, say that it's part of some like pickup artist-esque deal that Gary's kind of stumbled upon. It's just, it was terrible all around. But somehow Gary talks Nate into being the middleman. Nate gives Mona very vague romantic advice. She takes it to mean that he's telling her to go for it with this pay. He thinks he's telling her to go for it with Gary. Gary's listening in the background. It's vague enough that she's like, that it could literally be anybody which is purposeful so that she goes in the street what she wants meanwhile the guys are thinking something else and be blindsided later but whatever she takes nate's advice she goes to confess some feelings to this calpe the calpe okay here's my thing so they made it look like the calpe can't talk he just growls and roars occasionally barks and whimpers that's it Mona shows up with a Hawaiian to English dictionary. A, didn't know they made those. B, (laughs) how she's able to string these phrases together. What? C, homeboy can talk. This is a creature that would have been around for centuries. Didn't pick up a lick of English. Does he not know Hawaiian history? I have a thousand questions. Anyway, speaks Hawaiian perfectly. Perfectly, we get his name we learn some words about run and hide hilariousness not only that but her like search skills when he tells her her name and she's like she flips through like two pages and it's like oh my gosh it means this like many things but they're having a whole moment he's staring at her she's staring at him they almost get together and then he realizes "Uh oh crazies are back crazies are back apparently the people that are hurting him on the way. She tells her to run and hide. Pushes her out of the little field, whatever. She manages to hide behind the desk. Two dudes all in black. Make their way in. Know all the passcodes. And get the pay So Mona goes to follow. Cut to the parking garage? Where they're trying to load this pay into the van. Mona intercepts. Manages to stop them. Fight ensues. pay versus these two guys in black. He kicks ass. I'm pretty sure he bit into them. He manages to get them down. He manages to get them down. In the process, though, he like scratches Mona to get her out of the way because she also kind of gets into the fray. I don't know if it's a deep cut. She acts like it is. Like there's a whole point where she can't breathe and she's telling the Calpé to run. Run, Calpé. Run, Calpé. Barely breathing. And then she's like struggling to pull the fire alarm at the end. Again. And that was it for mona like that was the end of her little arc i i mean clearly this is plot points to show that a nate's dad aka biff his plan to get his operation hades off the ground project hades it's it's going it's moving into fruition they're kidnapping these creatures to do something with i don't know if they're planting something in them and that's why he had the gash or if they're trying to train them to do something and he wasn't listening and that's how he got the gash So clearly they're planting the evidence of that. The temporal shift happens, the time shift happens because Constantine's an idiot, but everything freezes. So before she can get to the fire alarm to pull it, I'm assuming to get help, right? Because she's got some bad cuts and those other two guys are probably dead. Time freezes. So she's in the middle of the air and we see that everybody else is in the middle of the air. It was random. The other random points of the episode, like I talked about the Ava Mick thing, randomly, Ava and Mick are forced to spend time together and they hate each other. I don't think they ever really got along, but there's like an extra like brother, sister, I hate you vibe happening between the two of them for some reason. It was thankfully a very short plot plan. We didn't really need it. Moving on. We also got Ray trying to grow a mustache. Also thankfully short. Didn't understand why that was needed. Oh, highlight. Guy who's who's playing Mike the Spike, Paul Rubin. Paul Rubin, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. First words out of his character's mouth. Check the doll, you dick. <laughs> or no, you wrong person, you dick. Like something like that. It was hilarious. Paul Rubin as a voice actor is hysterical. He is comedy go. I don't know if you guys remember, depending on who, what age you are listening to this, there was a brilliant show called Reno 911. And he was a, a common recurring character on that show. A lot of Reno 911 is basically on the spot improv. And he was brilliant. He was brilliant at it. I highly recommend you look it up. I'm pretty sure if you looked at Paul Rubin, Reno 911, his stuff's gonna come right up. He played this character who whispered all the time, hysterical, hilarious. Anyway, he's Mike the Spike. So he plays this puppet. I didn't understand why team A, which is Sarah's team, Thought that they could just chain down a burned up puppet and they'd be fine she keeps mentioning in horror like horror stories horror 101 you know with puppets they always come back yada, yada 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 they had to know that this is a spirit which wouldn't necessarily be tethered to this one particular puppet especially since he escaped some sort of hell dimension and is just floating around in time so of course he gets out. He makes it into another puppet. I forgot that we had a puppet, Stein. We have a puppet, Martin Stein, on board. It's a callback to another episode they had. I oh, not a second or first season or so. It didn't matter because I didn't care for it. So that's happening. I don't know if this is another uh, like pre- or midwinter break episode or not. But we leave everything with them realizing Mike the Spike is in, Martin the Puppet. They're in the midst of fighting when everything freezes. Done. And that was pretty much it for Legends of Tomorrow. It was all over the place. They're not tied to the crossover event. So I'm pretty sure they have their own episode coming up this week. It was all over the place. I'm just really upset about all the Hawaiian pronunciation. So I'm going to leave it at that. And we're going to be moving on into my next group over here, which is Black Lightning, right after this. All right, moving into Black Lightning, which is definitely gonna be short and sweet because, you guys. Okay, so let me know if you love this episode because I did not. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know how I feel about Jen. I want to love her. I want to love this beautiful black girl, but I cannot. Here's why. I don't know what they're trying to do by creating a character that is so selfish and just so involved with herself. I don't understand why. Unless it's to show her in a in a light where you just hate her. Like I don't I don't get it. I feel like ever since they've introduced her, it's just been like the Jen show. And then when it's not about Jen, she gets fully upset and mopey and cry, starts smoking weed and drinking during school hours. And I don't have the time for it. I don't have the time for it. I feel like, I mean, there's parts, like especially in the first season, where I kind of understood the logic. Like, especially when she started to spiral out of it, she was basically flickering, not knowing why she was flickering. There was a lot of anti-sentiment around green light babies. she's showcasing these abilities, not knowing who to turn to, not knowing who to tell. And then when she finds out, A, her sister also has abilities, but B, her dad has had abilities this entire time. I feel like there, there was a better way to paint this transition for Jen than the way that they did. Granted, maybe this was the best way to do it. Maybe this is exactly how a teenager would handle this and just dissolve completely. I don't know. It's been a little bit since I was a teenager. I just find it incredibly annoying. It's so frustrating. Anyway, it's also was a CW show, so I mean, the bar, it's not gonna, I need to readjust these expectations. So basically that's what this whole episode was. Just Jen angst, why can't I do what I want to do when I want to do it episode. That was a whole freaking episode. They've given us an explanation as to why Jen has run away. And that's basically because she feels trapped by her parents, to be fair to the writers and the actual story. That's exactly what her parents did. They basically trapped her to the house. Like she can't leave. She can't move. She can't breathe unless, you know, they're watching her 24 seven. But I also feel like we're forgetting the parts where Jen was full tears, Mariah Carey wall sliding over the fact that she could not control her abilities at all. I mean, yes, she's on a path to better control them. And we see that she's got some, some flex and some range in this ability right now. But she was completely out of control and completely scared. And this is why they didn't allow her to do a lot of stuff. So I was like, this is a little unfair, but okay. I mean, teenager, sure. You know, what's, her, what's his face is back in her life. We've got, um, oh, I just read rest in peace to his uh, dreads. Because Khalil, Khalil's dreads finally left, so thank God. But anyway, Khalil's back in her life, instantly starts lying. First fucking thing he does, lie. Lie about the fact that he's got to stop somewhere to shake some gangsters down to get money. His stupid ass was like, you know what? I, I mean, we're gonna be on the run and whatnot. Uh, I got this stolen car and I got you, but we need money to live on. So I'ma stop by one of the drop houses I used to do for Tobias, who clearly has put the word out that he after me. Anyway, and just front like, it's time to pick up the payments, even though it's clearly way too fucking early to pick up these payments, and also he after me. So Khalil goes blindly into this place, thinking he can do all that. Of course, it it does not go out of plan. He does manage to get some of that money back, but he also gets trapped behind a wall of gunfire. And so now we've got his ride or die chick, Jen, coming out the woodwork, creating distractions to get her boo to safety. Jen saved his ass this entire episode. I don't, again, again, why? Why, Jen, why? He didn't even know he had a trucker in his head? In his head, motherfucker. Anyway, that happened. It was all about their getaway. Like they're trying to get away, realizing they have piss planning uh, in this runaway scheme of theirs. Also, they have nowhere to go. Also, Jen wants to talk to her parents. Also, Khalil flips the fuck out when she was to talk to her parents. It just, you just saw why this was a terrible plan across the board to run away like this, across the board. Nothing helped. I know they were trying to keep the tone serious. Like, yes, Jen's really going to leave. I never bought that she was really going to be gone, gone. I don't, I don't buy it. We know she's going to be coming back. We know it. Anywho. And I'm pretty sure Khalil's gonna die. I'm pretty sure that's gonna be the end. This the the ending see, end of episode of this is Khalil heroically taking the bullet for Jen or something, passing the fuck out. Anyway, focus. So that was yes, that was the whole episode. Was Jen and Khalil runaway plan, getting everybody they're coming across into mad trouble, meeting up with somebody literally named the Cutter. They have a new <laughs> a new villain, another woman who works for Tobias in some kind of faction. Apparently, she she got a long history with Tobias because she wasn't scared of his game at all. But also, she's just full of blades. She's full of blades and a good fighter on top of that. So she said something pretty ominous towards the end. So Tobias sends her to go get Khalil. She goes after Khalil at his aunt's house. His aunt gets knocked out in the process. Jen has to save her. And she manages to cut Khalil. But of course, then Black Lightning gets involved, Thunder shows up, plus Jen, plus Khalil, all, you know, coming at her. She gets the hell out of Dodge, she runs away. Khalil and Jen also take that moment to run away. While in the midst of all the fighting of, you know, themselves getting saved, they run out and hide in the woods and have a whole moment again for no reason. And then hide from Black Lightning to get back into running. Do we even got a car anyway. So the episode ends with Jen's terrible decision still going on, still happening with her running away. We got to see more of Jen's ability, which was cool, except it was also framed around all this stupidity. So I felt like that took away from a lot of the cool, a hell of a lot away from the cool. So there was that. We also had a very annoying side storyline with Gambi coming back into everybody's life. So Jefferson is fully aware Gambi's alive. Gambi comes back to the rest of the family now that Jen's missing uh, you know says hi to Lynn says hi to Anissa and Anissa throws attitude again I understand they're trying to show her being upset her and Gambi got close she feels betrayed uh, he rightfully points out that she's a big ass hypocrite because she too would just be doing shit to do shit and not tell anybody and then act like what was happening so he did the same thing and now she's like no it's different alright girl all right, cool. So we had that. The highlight for me, Tobias. Tobias Whale. Love Tobias Whale. He's bae. Yeah, he's evil. I, I accept him for who he is. So I love that he has a no mama rule. He gets the best lines. He gets the best lines in the show. He has a whole moment where he's trying to track Khalil. He goes to Khalil's mom's house. And Khalil's mom, let me, get, let me tell you, she is an OG. She's like, I know you're here to rough me up, but I don't know where he is. So do your worst. And Tobias gives her a whole speech like, I know you a strong black woman. I was like, okay, Tobias. And he's like, but I have a no mama rule. You know, I would never harm anybody. I was like, oh, what? Morals? I mean, he probably doesn't have morals, but the fact that he's pretending he does. I mean, it's great. So there's that. And what else we had? Um, but yeah, it's mostly the little bits we got of Tobias is him basically talking about how Khalil needs to go. Khalil needs to get taken care of. Why is it so hard to do? And then we got the clincher. The best part of this episode was the very end, both because No More Jen, but also because we got the full display, or I should say logic behind Tobias. He pieces together that there is a definitive link between Black Lightning and Jen. And the Pierce girl, as he per- so put it. Not not bad, not bad. I mean, no, you know what? I couldn't even fault him for being slow because the only connection he had to Black Lightning and Jen the first time was when she got cut up with that gangster who I, I swore was going to be Static Shock and turned out not to be. Back in like the first season, I want to say first episode situation when Jen was being dumb again. And now here she is messing with Khalil's dumbass. And Black Lightning shows up and he's like, huh, interesting. So clearly this is going to culminate in some sort of situation where Tobias manages to get Jen and Jen has to realize that she's dumb and get help. So that's probably going to be happening. But he's picked up on it already. I like that they're not making him dumb. I like that they're not making him purposefully ignorant of the fact that every time Jen's in trouble, Jefferson shows the fuck up. So that was cool. Um, And that was pretty much... It, that was pretty much it. This episode was not the greatest. It really wasn't. I, and that's probably because it was a Jen focused episode for (laughs) for me, to be honest. No shade to the actress playing her. I love her. She's doing the best with what she has. This story is just not, I just, I'm just not vibing with the story. Maybe this is hitting it for the younger demographics, like the demographic actually close to Jen's age in the real life. Maybe they're like, I feel you girl, it's fucked up. We all try to run away. I just don't understand how it, it feels to me very clumsily put together. Jen almost feels like a caricature of a real character at this point, to me. She just kind of mopes and cries and gets mad. Power, power, power. So I don't, moving on to The Flash. Also gonna be pretty, pretty short. Not a lot happening in The Flash either. Uh, I also don't know if this was also it's, I wanna say it was, it's winter finale until the break is done or whatever. I call it the secrets episode. It was just basically a lot of Nora getting to see like the behind the scenes Mary Allen, him facing his greatest foes, these other speedsters. A lot of heavy, heavy head nods to the fact that she knows who who uh, Eobard Thawne is. A lot of head nods to that, and then the combination of the fact that oh yeah, she does know who Eobard Thawne is. So shocker. Okay, I mean. It was a good twist, we knew- Sherlock had been dropping hints that he knew something wasn't on the up with Nora. Her showing up, the fact that she's staying as long as she is, the secret notes that she's doodling in her journal, he's slowly but surely piecing together that there is somebody puppeting the strings. I don't know when he's gonna clue into the fact that it's Eobor and Thon, but he's definitely on the trail for it and Nora's dumb enough to not realize that that's happening yet. So there's that. Uh, We had some cute moments between Nora and Barry, like her seeing her grandparents for the first time, her realizing that her dad was trying to protect her from all of the the dark terribleness that was his past, Um, and getting closer like that, her getting even more respect for her moms when she saw Iris kicking sweet ass, Savitar ass, when she popped future berries like that, like a lot of that was happening. That was kind of cool. It was, it was okay. It felt like a lot, a lot of filler, a lot, a lot of filler, but we got a fantastic Killer Frost cameo which I'll take. So we get a whole, they, they finally know who Cicada is. They finally figure out a plan for Cicada. It's a whole situation where they got to create a weapon to pull the dark matter out of Cicada's weaponry in order to stop him and gain their powers when they're trying to fight Cicada. Cause that's how he's been taking them down. When his little lightning bolt situation thing starts happening, it basically works as a dampener for all of their abilities and that he can just kick ass cause it doesn't dampen his so the plan seems to work they managed to create this thing this weapon and it it nullifies his his little swords ability for a hot second before it just comes right back like recharges we find out though that it's not affecting killer frost because so everybody's down he's about to kill barry Caitlin snaps killer frost shows the fuck up and she's got full powers and she manages to dissuade Cicada from killing anybody and run away really fast. So that happens. And then they find out, Team Flash finds out even more information based off of that battle. A, his his sword dagger situation really only works on beings that have dark matter. And because Caitlin was meta before the explosion, she's not necessarily dark matter. So she has a better chance of getting to them. I don't know what that means moving on in the future. If they're gonna figure out a way to get everybody powered up without using dark matter or what, but that's down the way. Cisco's able to create full rifts again. So that's cool. Is he still hurting though when he does it? I don't know that they clarified that he's fixed. Anyway, that was happening. Um, and of course the, the Nora Thawne twist. So apparently these notes she's been writing down. down She's been sending to Thon, who is in a prison. I read somewhere that one of the hysterical parts of Flash Cannon is the fact that Reverse Flash just keeps showing the fuck up. He keeps dying, they keep figuring out ways to literally and figuratively dismantle this dude, and he just keeps coming back like a bunny. So that's what's happening now. I'm hoping we get an explanation from the TV show. The TV series that the world they built show, especially through Legends of Tomorrow, they showed that Eobol that we knew managed to stave off death the last time, like when his ancestor decided to off himself, Eddie. Um, he managed to stave that off by create, basically running away from time wraiths. So he managed to get into the time, is it called the time space? The time whatever that thing is. He managed to get into that dimension, but because of whatever rules, these Time Wraiths were after him and he was spending a lot of time running away from them. That was a whole plot series for Legends of Tomorrow last, last season, season before, around that. And then it looked, when the season ended, the Wraiths finally got him and he looked like he died. He turned into a skeleton. But now here he is in What's-His-Face's body, a uh, Harrison Wells' body in the future as Thawne. So, Lord knows. Anyway, so yeah, that's pretty much it. But the crossover event is coming on. I didn't really like this last Flash episode. Flash has its moments. It, It ebbs up and down where you're like, this is fantastic. This is crappy. This is fantastic again. We're back to crappy. So, and then it's gonna take its break. I'm sure the crossover event is going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to watching it, but, um. This last episode filler. A lot of these episodes were DC TV this week kind of filler, which is going to lead me to Titans right after this. Speaking of filler, uh continuing on with the DC TV universe. Titans. The latest episode of Titans dropped. Oh my god. What is happening in this show? Why do I still watch it? Okay. Again, Titans. I only am aware of Titans through Teen Titans, the animated show that was on Cartoon Network oh so many years ago. I did not know that they actually had a series run just called Titans with an adult ass Robin an adult ass Starfire, and then teenage Garfield, AKA Beast Boy and teenage Rachel, AKA Raven. Did not know that. We're getting it in this TV show. I've said it before. Mad that I can't binge it, these episode to episode situations are all over the place. The story is all over the place. Not only that, but the arc of this current storyline is strange. Don't mind the squeaky toy, that's my dog. So yeah, that's her sneezing. So I don't understand the pacing of this at all. I was under the impression we only had 10 episodes of Titans. We actually have 11, 11. We actually have 11 episodes of Titans. Not much more, but it feels like they wrapped up the storyline. So we, we started it with Rachel and her seemingly demonic situation. Introduced Robin, introduced Starfire, introduced Beast Boy. The combination of them getting together. The immediate test of them being together. They get out of it. We get introduced to Jason Todd. We get introduced to a hawk and dove i feel like the way they introduced these other characters for the world building that they're doing in this show was fine i mean a lot of it seemed out of nowhere we did get um the league that beast boy was a part of <sighs> of course i don't remember them and they're my favorite episode but um yeah we did get that random storyline but i felt like the way they brought it in made sense for the overall story because it's still looped around Raven, I'm like trying to get Raven to safety and find out what's going on with Raven the whole time. This Hawk and Dove episode we got, what the fuck? What the fuck? Out of nowhere, where we left Hawk and Dove, uh, I wanna say Hawk or was it Dove? Whoever the girl is, she dove straight off a building, right? So the, the crazy family, the nuclear family was there and they either threw her off this building or she fell off this building. Something happened, she didn't land well. She careened off a roof into the ground, a good few stories up. Some miraculously didn't break a damn bone in her body, but did go into a coma. And for whatever reason, this means we need a full backstory of how they met. Because why, why, why did we need this? We didn't need this anyway. We get a full long story behind Hawk and Dove. We find out Hawk and Dove actually started out as a brother team, which somebody told me was a shout out to the canon for the comic books. Hawk and Dove was a two-guy team. And then eventually it made its way into like a guy-girl team, but who knows? But so basically they show, up, show it as a uh, brother-brother situation. We get the background story around the guy, I, Hawk, he's Hawk. Basically it was him and his brother taking care of each other. They had a mother who may or may not have been sick. Basically, she was um, not really there for a lot of their life. They also had to deal with uh, pedophilia. So there was a creepy coach who was going after them. And Hawk, being the older brother, was like, I'll take it for the team. I mean, whoa. So we got that story and they kind of tied his crazy young story background into why he got into crime fighting in the first place. But man, it was loose. Man, it was loose and fast how they tied all that in there. Um, basically they were trying to say that the reason he got into crime fighting was A, he needed an outlet for all of his rage. He has a lot of rage, which makes sense because the way they set it up was like, he was somebody who was sexually assaulted continuously at a very, very young age. And so that's why he was the way he was. He was using football as an outlet to release this rage, but he gets himself kicked off the team And then his younger brother and him decide, well, why don't we just become uh, vigilantes? Because that's the next step. Sure. They get football pads together and they get some outfits together. It's very cute on the one hand, but also very bro, like college bro kind of situation where they're videotaping. It reminded me of Bum Fights. I don't know if you guys remember Bum Fights. Google it. There was a terrible, 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 very frat-like group that got together. A bunch of rich white guys who decided, you know what would be great? If we got homeless people off the streets to beat the everlasting shit out of each other and pay them $5. Sounds great. It was a terrible plan. Terrible plan in the real life. Terrible plan in this show. So rather than get homeless people to fight each other, it is the two brothers beating the ever-loving out of somebody that they have deemed to be a pedophile. Here's the issue. They never really actually say whether or not the guy that they went after was actually a pedophile. They talk about how this guy was an alleged pedophile. They never say this guy actually was. One of the very fast and loose things that I've noticed in a lot of DC TV shows, and you could argue superhero shows in general, is that there's no due process to anything. They've decided this person is now bad, and now they get to kill them, basically. That's what's happening. And these two are beating the ever loving out of this person. Uh, They do try to make it interesting with Hawk. So Hawk has a brother who is a person of color. This boy is black. The coach hits you over the head with the fact that they are brothers of the same mother, but different fathers. And also those fathers aren't around. Like they hammer it in that these guys are diverse, but also a family. Okay, cool. And then how his brother gets taken out, it's not like they were fighting and he lost his brother. They were like chilling the day after their very first fight, thinking victory, thinking, yes, we're great. When a car hops the curb and plows his brother down. You know who else's car plows down? Apparently, future Dove's mom. So we get the backstory of Dove as well. She is another person who grew up in abuse, not sexually assaulting, physical abuse at the hands of somebody who might be her father or a stepfather, some sort of father figure in her life, who she's had to hurt because he was hurting her mother, her sister, and her. So like, there's a whole situation there. She's also a trained ballerina. She drops in there. Not only is she a trained ballerina, she is a a master gymnast and also jujitsu fantastical queen what what in between getting beat to shit at home you had chances to go and train for ballet jujitsu and gymnastics bitch. anyway it's superhero logic we're not supposed to question we're just supposed to be like of course she did and that's why she's standing up for herself the way that she is i did like the twist that rather than have it be hawk who is short-tempered and goes after the man that hurt him when he was younger It's Dove. So there's a whole point where him and Dove are trying to get over the loss of their family because they lost their family in the same accident on the same day right in front of each other. They're both coping in their own ways. Dove has been going to group therapy. Hawk has been hiding in his house. Uh, They realize that they can kind of be with each other and it kind of lessens the void of the loneliness kind of deal. And they kind of hit it off and they start dating. And then Dove, the girl who's going to be Dove realizes, oh, he had a whole vigilante background at some point. He hasn't been fighting since his brother passed, but she kind of sees his stuff and then she wants to know and then she's not disturbed by it. She's just like, oh, fantastic. Why didn't you go after the guy who hurt you in the first place? Craziness. And um, yeah, so we get that random story and we get to see them come together as a couple by beating the ever living out of the coach that started the sexual harassment in the first place. End of episode. Also, we had little tidbits here and there about Rachel trying to talk to them. Mind you, the last episode had Rachel in a chokehold by Starfire. So how, why she's reaching out to these people right now, I don't know, I don't know. Also, nobody's close, but superhero logic doesn't matter. So she was trying to reach Hawk. he did not hear her or see her. She's trying to reach Dove, she sees her immediately. Sure. And then they make it seem like the reason she did was because she was dreaming this the whole time. But then they kind of allude that Hawk was also dreaming. Like it was weird. It was weird all around. I still don't know why we got this backstory. I mean, if you were a huge Hawk Dove fan, maybe this hit the spot. Maybe you were like, this is the episode I was waiting for. The standalone to find out how they got together. Otherwise, for everybody else, or basically just for me. For me, I was like, why aren't we gonna pick up the momentum that we had at the end of the last episode? We just came out of a huge fight. It seemed like things were quiet on the front. Clearly they are not quiet on the front. We get a random filler episode. I was especially mad thinking this was the last episode of the season. I was like, you're gonna give me 10 episodes and this is the episode you're gonna end on. But thankfully it's not. We're gonna get an 11th one. Next Friday will be the last episode for the season. <sighs> oh The previews show them talking to Starfire. So I'm talking to Corey. So clearly she shakes out of her stupor of trying to kill Raven. Uh and they're trying to figure out what's going on. We get more of um Wonder Girl. Wonder Girl shows up. And that's all I really cared about. Then it was just filler. It was just filler for Titans. I don't know why we needed it. Let me know if you loved this episode for Titans. If you were like, no, we needed this to showcase something. Or maybe I missed another big plot point in this episode. I was just like, why do we need this backstory? And why are we getting it so late in this series? This show. But I'm still watching it. So I'll be back with another recap next week. Talking about the latest thing I don't understand about this series. So moving on, I'm going to get into a show I do love. Midnight, Texas right after this. Hey, it's Joe, aka the curvy geeky fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast cuz it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as curvy geeky fangirl with the exception of Twitter. Of course, Twitter has limitations, so take out that A and take out that I on fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, y'all, Midnight Texas is doing fantastic. It's doing so good. If you like your horror to be a little campy, have its, you know, obligatory romantic situations, but also just, you know, mindless bloody murder. This is that show for you. This is that show, it's so good. So the series so far has been fantastic. I wanna say we're only into episode six-ish, maybe seven-ish, pretty early into the season. Uh, I also don't know how many episodes this season is. So I don't know if this is only 13 episodes or longer, but still, either we're in the middle or still in the beginning stages of the series a lot of things went down in this episode so we know that kai is up to something over there at his little retreat we know fiji is making terrible decisions right now because she's completely embracing dark magic we also know um that olivia and lem are the by far the most stable couple couple in midnight texas right now um and the couple that i used to look to for hope and resilience was Joe and Chewy, and they are on the rocks. So all that's happening, we're gonna kick it off with what's happening on the Kai front. So that's the Kai-Manfred-Patience situation. Patience creeps me out. I am thinking further and further that the final twist is that she is the leader of all of this. So anyway, we kick off the episode with Manfred sharing with Patience that Kai is not on the level. He's lying about this monster juice stuff that he's keeping, uh, his, what was her name? Sequoia, Lyric, Lyric. Lyric was clearly using this stuff to turn herself invisible and was killing in Kai's name. Patience is over here like, I've known that man for 12 years. He can't lie to me, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And I think she's telling the truth. Manfred's trying to tell her that Kai's hold, have got has secrets. He's keeping secrets. And she's telling him that they don't keep secrets from each other and I believe her. I think she's in on everything because when he drops the bomb that he's storing, that Kai is storing all of the energy he's drawing from people like to to, to heal them of their ailments and keeping it in a jukebox, she doesn't even blink an eye. She's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course he does. That's what we have to do. And she verbatim drops the spiel about how she ne- he needs to remove that energy uh, and that he can't just get rid of it. It's like a nuclear force. So he can't just like toss it away or anything. He needs to make sure it can't harm anybody else. Suspect. Manfred does not pick up that this is suspect as hell. That she's just like, uh-huh. Because every time he tries to tell her something new about Kai, she already knows. When he found the head, she was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he keeps the head. Yep, that's what he does. But I mean, just a lot of things. A lot of things about Kai that Manfred doesn't trust. And when he brings it up to Pages, she's just like, no, this is fine. And I already knew about it. So what's your problem? We also get the return of Creek in this little speech. Creek gets a message asking her to come home. And the message is from Manfred. Manfred is like looking at her crazy. And is like, I didn't leave you any messages. What the fuck are you talking about? But he's also kind of excited to see Creek. But also he's messing with Patience. And Creek clues in on all of this immediately. I was not a fan of the Creek-Manfred situation. But I... Did like Creek? Creek, even though I mean she was definitely falling into like the Suki Stackhouse type of trope. I mean she didn't have special powers, but she was like the you know the uh, innocent looking and non-suspecting waitress who is capable of all this stuff. She very much played it level-headed and very common sense. She p- puts two and two together very very fast. Like she gets back to the house, sees Manfred. A little hurt that he's moved on but not only that he's moved on to patience who is a married woman which completely gives her free range to throw all kinds of ethical and moral questions at him which she does manfred to his credit just kind of bounds them dodges gets out the way but eventually they break it down that something's happening at midnight patience also uh kind of gets into it with kai because kai gets a message from patience And the message was set up to sound like she was leaving a message for Manfred, but left it on the wrong phone. And so she's got it. Now she's over at Manfred's like, yeah, Kai got this message. He knows about us by the by. Also, I didn't leave that message. So suspicion in the town. That's happening. And that's how we can get into our big bad. Um, What else is happening? Um, I'm still really bothered by the fact that she has no qualms about carrying on a full-on affair with her husband, who is now back in town. Not to say that it's okay if he's not in town, but I mean, decorum woman, it's a tiny ass town. You don't think someone's gonna pick up that you messing with Manfred on a side? Like, okay, anyway, that, like, she's just like, yeah, I'm never leaving. Like, she keeps telling Manfred, I'm never leaving my husband, but this between us, we can keep this going. Like, for what? For what? Why would we do this? Anyway, I'm glad that Creek is the one to be like, you're a fucking idiot, man, Fred. You need you need to stop, just stop. She's married. There's no future there. Get the fuck out. So there's that. We did get the bomb dropped that she's known Kai for twelve years. I feel like that's significant in some way. I wonder if they are like regenerative people, beings, something. We're like the reason because Kai was kind of frantic. This whole episode. Yeah, he found out his wife's cheating on him. But also like when when the the clan of Midnight comes in to talk to him, he gets frenetic. He gets really like shaky and, and really frustrated and angry really, really fast. So it feels like he's on a deadline and they keep interrupting him and he can't get to where he wants to be. But also he keeps mentioning how he's doing all of it for us, quotation marks. And Meaning him and patience, which makes me think that he needs to do something either to keep patience in line, like to curb a curse or to stop her from exploding or for her going full monster. I feel like there's a tie to everything else he's doing and her patience. I also feel like the reason they're together is because they lock like two pieces in a puzzle. Like I feel like they need each other in order to keep to survi- surviving. I'm very interested to see what happens and what the reveal is going to be because it's coming. The reveal is coming. They're making us look at Kai a lot, but I think he's going to tr- prove to be a MacGuffin, and it's going to be patience. So that that's happening. Um, what else is happening on that side? Oh, um. Manfred gets a whole moment with Joe. So Manfred tells everybody about the head that Kai's got (laughs) in his his study. Uh, And he manages to get Joe to help him basically try to get this head. The plan was to steal the head to basically dampen Kai's power. He took away Lem's power, who's one of the strongest of them. He took away Rev's power as well, but Rev's no longer there. So they're like, we need to take Kai's power. It's gotta be rooted to this head. Like, why is he keeping this head? They get there manfred gives joe the heads up he's like listen it's one of the most powerful things i've ever touched i couldn't i couldn't hack it just so you know joe's like all right like he takes it into stride not in a show-offy way like well i'm a fucking angel so i can do it but more in like a okay i hear you i'm gonna try my best and he tries to take it but it doesn't budge he's like that shit is tethered to this place it's not moving at least not by us so Manfred's like, well, I mean, he gives this whole anthology that it could be like the sword and the stone. Basically the only person who can touch it is the person that's meant to touch it. And in their case, it would be Kai. I like that Joe gives him a look of like, not necessarily chagrin, but just of like, all right, child. <laughs> like, lecture. I don't know if that was on purpose or not by the actor, but it was hilarious to me. But then we get a moment where Kai's like, well, let me try something else. Kai has, or not Kai, Joe has the ability to touch people's foreheads and get their thoughts and feelings on stuff, like get their history of their memories type of situation. He presses his hand to this dead head and its eyes open. I audibly gasped. I mean, it was coming, something weird was coming with this head, truly, but I still was like, that twist, I love it. I love the twist. So this is a living severed head is what we find out. But I also clued into the fact that the mouth on this head is sewn shut. And we've noticed a pattern, uh, at least spiritually, like the Sequoia, the girl that got murdered in the name of Kai, her tongue was cut out so she couldn't speak in death. And when, spoiler, when we see Creek, who does not make it to the end of this episode, Creek ends up being killed by somebody. She also can't fully verbalize what happened to her. When Manfred asks her, who did this to you? The scars on her neck, she's got these ligature marks on her neck from being strangled or cut. They start glowing and she turns into ash and disappears. It's interesting. It's very interesting that whatever this is, the ground rule is like after I end you, you still can't tell anybody what's going on. What the hell is happening over here at Kai's place? I don't think Kai killed her. My money's on Patience having killed her. Because we don't have another groupie that's associated with Kai. So, and I mean, Kai was the last person we saw with her. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a MacGuffin and he stopped her to scare her, to get her out. And then she got stopped by Patience and was murdered. Wouldn't be surprised. But, but yeah, so Manfred ends his episode with the knowledge that the girl he loved is now dead. And now he's gotta figure out what happened. Manfred can't catch a break. There's a whole big bad also. There's a trickster god that's messing with everybody. That's the overarching storyline for everybody. He's the one leaving the messages. He's the one stirring up shit in the town. He basically tells Manfred that his life is a dumpster fire. And uh, I kinda can't fault him on it right now because there's a lot of stuff happening to to Manfred. The The decisions he's made, as well as stuff that's just happening to him, is nonsense all the way through. Fiji is making terrible decisions. She has decided to fully embrace dark magic. She hemmed and hawed about it for a good 10 seconds and then was like, bring it on. I love it all. So she had her first temp- or time to play around with dark magic when she was trying to save Olivia from her creepy dad. She loved it. And now that she started embracing it, she's like, well, let's just go full forward and then I can save you and yada, yada. I don't turn into dog, Bobo. Let's go for it. Bobo has qualms. He's like, it's a little weird. (laughs) You have to embrace full darkness in order to do so. The edifice they have for Theopolis, which is supposed to be the uh, head of the witch line that she's from, definitely looks demonic. It looks like a goat figure, which has ties to satanic culture. So it was just like, huh, huh, okay. Also, in my research, because I was trying to look up online, like what this Theopolis situation is about. There's a Saint Theophilus of, I thought I wrote it down in my notes, I did not. But they basically, Organa, Organda, Organa, something like that. Basically, the folklore around this saint is that he was up for a prime position in the church, decided to turn down the offer uh, to showcase humility, Basically like he knew it was an opportunity for him, but he wanted to give it to somebody else. This other person took it, did not return favor. Did not return the favor, was not gracious about it whatsoever. So Theophilus was like, fuck this dude. I'm gonna figure out another way to get it back at him. Made a deal with the devil, as one does apparently. Struck up a deal to get power and influence and money. Got power, got influence, got money. Got scared because he made a deal with the devil. Basically repents, tries to get out of it in this Wikipedia storyline I followed. He pleads to, to Mary to get out of it. Um, Mary doesn't believe him. So then he's got to repent some more. He repents harder. And eventually Mary comes through for him and is like, you know, I'm going to clear you out of this contract with the devil and get you out. In the Wikipedia story, the way it ends is like um, this saint ends up talking with a bishop somebody else in the church basically explaining everything that happened and his contract with the devil shows up and then it burns to ash and in the process of it burning to ash this saint also dies because in order to be a saint you can't be alive you have to die and apparently that's the end of the story it's really weird but it's also kind of ambiguous ending because like just because that contract well i guess they're trying to showcase that the contract broke away, meaning it no longer had a hold over him. But I feel like it was showing that his time was up. And now he had to go solve the rest of that deal. Who knows? But that's, that's it feel like that's the time they're trying to do with Fiji and her darkness. They're trying to show how she's making, brokering a deal with something she should not be making a deal with. In order to fully take on Theopolis, she has to carve into her chest which she does, she pulls out something that looks like an acorn. It's a bloody acorn in her hand, eyes fully black at this point. It cracks open and this blue butterfly comes out of it and then fades into mist. Here we go. Let me give you some more mythology background. The box that all of this cool tools are in also has a butterfly on it. Butterflies typically are a symbolism for transformation. You know, caterpillar to butterfly, yada, 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 yada a transformation, uh, total change in persona type of situation. Butterflies are also connected to souls, depending on the mythology that you're looking at. So it very much looks like Fiji got rid of her soul in order to include this crazy darkness. Uh, When she does all of this, she gets a white streak in her hair. Flashback to first season. Her aunt has the same kind of hair. She had a white streak in her hair, I thought we were just trying to show like age, but it looks like they're trying to show alliance. Also, we had that full warning from her aunt, not but two episodes ago, talking about how she can't embrace the darkness like that. Her aunt did. It did not help her in the end. And she ended up stuck in a purgatory. And now we've got Fiji going full force into it under the guise of saving Bobo completely losing herself. Immediately afterwards, you see her start to lose disinterest in a lot of things that made Fiji, Fiji. She has what looks to be amazing sex with Bobo, but then she just kind of like pushes him out the bed. <laughs> like, he's like, because there's a power outage happening. He's like, I'm going to check on the, you know, the others. And she's like, whatever, man, I don't care. Bye. Um, she also has a whole conversation with a trickster god that's messing everything up. She fully figures out what's happening, does nothing to stop it. Whatsoever. There's also a point where Bobo tries to uh, basically like chuck her. Like, hey, what's going on with you? Well, yada, yada, yada. When he goes to touch her, his hand burns up. And they make us make us think that it, or lead us to believe that she chose to do that so that he wouldn't touch her. But yes, she also, also showed no remorse, right? So he runs off, he runs away, blah, blah, blah. Bobo's also weird in this episode. So there's a lot of things happening. So uh, basically we end the Fiji episode with her crying and apologizing to Bobo. But then we also quickly find out, like as soon as his back is turned, she didn't mean anything that she said to him. She doesn't care, which made me wonder, why was she even bothered to pretend in the first place with Bobo? She doesn't necessarily need him around unless she still loves him in some way. And that's why she kept him around. Um also, what is this gonna mean moving forward for midnight? Their cor one of their corner pop- soul for their little town, corner soul. They're, <laughs> they're one of the people that made Midnight Midnight was Fiji. And now she's completely different. So And doesn't care about anybody. There's a whole point where the trickster god points out that like you don't give a fuck about anybody right now. So let's have fun. So That's happening. We also had a moment with Bobo where, like, I just felt like they were giving him way too many lines for no reason. There's a whole point where Lem gets his powers back. And it's just Bobo in the background, just going like, oh hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, what the fuck, Bobo? Who are you right now? What are you doing? Shut up. Sit down. So I don't know what's going on with that. We also had Bobo. So there's a whole part after their ambush on Kai's house to try to get this head where Manfred. Is like, where is Creek? Like everybody else meets up at the the place they decided to meet up at after trying to get into Kai's little place, except for Creek. And there's a part where Bobo goes, oh, I saw her get in her car and take the fuck off and get out of town. He says that. I rewound it to make sure he said it. He says that. And then shortly after we find out Creek is dead. A, did Bobo get glamored? Did Fiji make him think that he was gone? Did Fiji kill Creek? How did he see this? B, why why did we add that? Why would we slip that part in there? Well, they slip it in there to help further the surprise towards the end when you're like, oh, what, she's dead? But that was just oddly specific. It was weird. So that was happening. We don't know what's going on with Dark Fiji. Uh, Lem and Olivia, pretty much boring, which is great. They're on the same page on things. When the trickster god is doing his stuff, he really can't go after them because there's no secrets between the two of them. So that was nice. We also got Lim back to being a vampire. Great. Uh we also got a lot of Joe and Chewie. Joe and Chewie are one of my favorite couples on the show. We got very, very little Chewy up until now. Like he's been out and just traveling and then randomly here. So we get a whole moment here where Joe is starting to feel the guilt. He's been doing demon hunting behind his husband's back. He hasn't told him about it, but he's also been getting his flirt on with Walker. And they've already made out. But he doesn't tell Chewie any of that. He just tells Chewie that he's, you know, demon hunting again. And Chewie's on board. He's a supportive husband. He's like, do you, babe? Is what you were built for? You good at it? All right, great. It becomes pretty evident, especially with through the Trickster God, that uh, his secret with Walker, I'm not gonna say secret for very long. Also, he anties up that secret uh, afterwards. Trickster God gets Walker to come back into town. He meets up with Joe and Joe was like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> like, he gets really mad he's like, why are you here? Are you trying to start shit between me and my husband? Because I don't need that. You gotta go. In the meanwhile, though, we get backstory behind Walker. And it didn't really answer as many questions as I wanted it to answer. We find out why he started hunting. It's very supernatural. It's very much Winchester-esque. He was a little boy. His mom was attacked and killed by a demon. And that's why he is attacking and killing demons. They don't tell us how he gets the tech he has. Not only does he have the hand thing that is able to rip hearts out of demons. He also has sunglasses that show him the real eyes of a demon. So if somebody's got, is actually a demon, but trying to be a human in disguise, he puts on these shades and when he's looking through them, he can see if you have demon eyes or not. And that's how he makes Chewie. He figures out Chewie's a demon. Where's he getting his tech? Where Are we gonna get an answer to that? I mean, granted, what he went through is horrifying, but that little boy does not go on to be a crazy fantastic engineer and create all of this stuff with no idea or basis of how to get this to work. So, questions. Are we gonna get answers to that? Not yet. But anyway, after he shares this story with Joe, mind you, he didn't share the story. He made Joe like touch his head to get the memories or whatever. They have this whole passionate moment and then sex in the back of a van. Joe. Come on, Joe. Immediately afterwards, Joe is like, oh, the guilt. I've never felt so far away from heaven. <laughs> like, come on, Joe. It's too, too little too late. You already went balls deep into this dude. And then, that might have been a little graphic, but I'm sorry. Anyway, and then we have Walker's dumbass all sprung. He'd been in love with Joe for a while. He's just like, you might regret it, but I felt love. Ninja, you known him for two weeks. Maybe la- maybe less. Maybe less. Has anybody seen the Sassy Gay Friend series on on Netflix YouTube? It is a stereotype, um, but it's also a joke. It's by Second City. It's probably still on there. It's called Sassy Gay Best Friend. Joe could have used one. I very much reminded me of the Romeo and Juliet skit. Where he's just like what 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 are we doing <laughs> it's thursday you met him on sunday slow down crazy slow down i don't know what walker's talking about or why he thinks him and joe are the greatest love song ever but it needs to stop immediately so we have the head we we too, he corners chewy he's like joe look out it's Damon. Chewie's over here like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> he looks back. He's looking at Joe. He's looking at Walker. He's realizing what's happening between Joe and Walker. He gets pissed. Loses it. Rightfully so. He, like Creek, puts two and two together really, really fast and realizes. Not only has Joe been lying to him about what exactly has been going on during his demon hunting but he knows Joe has crossed the fucking line. And he has, and he has. In my opinion, he took his aggression out on the wrong person. It's like that situation where somebody finds out their partner is cheating on them and they immediately go after the third party who was involved rather than their partner. All of that anger I'm saying should have went to Joe. He should have beat the shit out of Joe. That, I mean, to me, that's the person who lied that's the person who betrayed the trust this third party greedy as they may be they didn't make any deals with you they didn't make any promises to you joe did anyway so he kind of starts to fight joe but he doesn't actually land any punches he just does a lot of breathing and then he turns on walker and beats the shit out of walker walker had it coming to be fair and, then, and Walker's still on this whole kick of we gotta kill him because he's a diamond. I mean they're doing a good job of painting Walker as very one track minded um, but I also love that Lamb was just like got in there and basically de- energized him immediately and was like Joe go get your husband I also wanted Chewie to have more of a speech just like fucker you what as much shit as we have been through been through literally thousands of years of being together. You gonna do this with this basic hoe? Are you kidding me? Like just so many things. So we end the episode with not only Chewie finding out the truth about what's going on between Locker and Joe, but he is on the loose and he has gone demon. If you remember from the previous season, which you may or may not, if you weren't watching it, but the previous season had the reveal that Chewie, who at first just seemed like a, unsuspecting guy happened to run a nail shop next to his husband the tattoo artist actually was half demon and not only that he's like one of the most powerful fighters in midnight like stronger than lem stronger than joe stronger than the rev stronger than fiji strong as fuck reckless as fuck it's the demon gets dark he doesn't remember what's happening blackout but uh, Joe helps to keep him in check. So it was a whole thing where like a de- another demon was after them and Chewie, getting- oh no, an angel. It was a rogue angel that Joe used to fight with who is crazy and had come after him. He managed to take her out. Bam, done. We haven't been using Chewie that much for some reason. I don't know why. And now that we did, this, this storyline is juicy. But I am interested to see where this is gonna go. I really hope this doesn't end up in there separation I feel like it's going to they're making it seem pretty clear Chewie's not coming back (laughs) Chewie's not coming back all the promos everything else did not include Chewie 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 it just included Joe and it just included Walker like in that couple segment so I'm very scared about what's going to go on I'm really hoping it's a break situation where Chewie gets enough sense in him to calm down and is like Joe you need to stay the fuck away from me I need to piece together what this even means for me moving forward, but we can't be together right now. I'm hoping for that speech and not be, we're done. We're done and everyone see you again and I'm out. Cause I like Chewie and I want him to have a bigger storyline and that can't happen if he's gone. So, but that that storyline by itself was one of my favorites for the show. By far, by far. That was the greatest. But um, yeah, so that's what's happening. So next episode, preview for next episode, Basically, they're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with or who killed Creek. And uh, apparently we may or may not see an unveiling of some sort in regards to Kai. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're going to find out a little bit more. Again, I don't know how many episodes we got. I also don't know if this is going to be the break episode or not. So we'll see. But it was great. I loved it. Right after this, I'm going to be talking about uh, Neo Yokio because I caught the pink Christmas special right after this. All right, real quick, I'm talking talk about Neo Yokio, uh, the pink Christmas special. Okay, so if you guys read anything on 4L Nerds, we had a very fantastic article going in about whether or not you should watch Neo Yokio. And the short answer was no, you should not. You should not watch it. If you are a anime fan, this is not gonna be a show you like honest to be honest to be honest this is very much a parody of what anime is like they very much took bits and pieces of different animes that this creative team liked it just kind of threw into the show it's also got a character lead you do not like you do not like voiced by jaden smith it's just this elitist materialistic character that you're just like why 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 it took me a couple of watches. Of neo tokyo before i was like okay i get it because the first time i watched it i was on board with the no team just like this was fuckery what the hell did i just watch (laughs) like what is this but it's uh, yeah i mean it's not help it doesn't help me to know that the creative team behind this is the lead singer from vampire weekend and jane smith like no shade to them at least the Vampire Weekend guy is famous on his own from being in this band. Do I think the band's a little pretentious? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I get why people like it. I'm not going to lie. When their first album came out, I was I was one of those out there singing along. But I mean, also, everything starts to sound the same after a little bit and they very much come across as rich white guys. So I could see the hesitancy and the show very much comes across as rich white guys and also Jaden Smith. So like, I get why a lot of people are not trying to get in on this Neo-Dokio business because it's it's a lot, it's a lot. That being said, if you accept it for the nonsense that it is, it is a fun watch. I'm a huge fan of Deuce and Mero, Deuces and Mero, huge fan. They're about to get their own show on Showtime, their uh, Viceland show. They would put large chunks of it on YouTube, if not the full damn show. And I lived for it. It was so good. These guys are hilarious. And they are voices of two of the besties for Jane Smith's character. They play Lexi and Gottlieb. Do they get a whole lot of scenes? No, but it's just so fun hearing their voices. It's so much fun. So, that being said, this special actually got me liking Neil Yokio even more. I know. If you don't, if you hate it, you're not going to care about this. You can fast forward. Listen, the reason I like this episode, this little standalone Christmas special is because they gave us a more structured look into what's making up neo Because like, I'm not going to lie. I watched the first season, completely forgot that the lead character is a descendant of demon fighters. They call them the... Oh, the magic elite the magister, something elite. But basically in this fictional world, you have people who can deal with magic and they're able to fight off demons because demons are real things that happen in this world. Also, they are obsessed with rich and fancy things. In this little short Christmas special, we got a lot of structure into the background of the show. We found out how the people that have magic came to the power that they have. We found out why they have the structure, the class structure they've got in the show and how it's used as a tool to keep people distracted. And, you know, the side jokes we had along in in the meanwhile, the Caprizi boys situation going back and forth. Like there was still the silly antics happening. We still got a big room out of it. But we also got all of this history into this this fictional world. And the way they left things... Is pretty wide open, but also kind of interesting as to see where they're gonna go with it. So basically, the it starts off with the Robo Butler telling a story to uh Jane Smith's character who I wanna say is Kai? Kaz. Cas. Um but the story just seems so real and open ended. Like he finds out in the story, Kaz's character finds out the reason everybody has the powers and the reason they're at their elite status that they are is because they are descendants from demons. They are descendants from demons who basically went AWOL from whatever the other demon plan had been to take over this area and struck a deal with humans in order to get the prestige and the power that they currently have now, all these descendancies later. We have Kaz's aunt, Agatha, who is very stern and very much like I'll do anything for money, (laughs) who basically tips off this huge turn between the demons and the humans in Neo-Yokio. And we also had another aunt that was introduced who I can't remember at all, who's Agatha's sister, who takes it from a completely different perspective. She is somebody who feels like not enough people are paying attention to the truths happening around them. And she brings it up to Kaz's attention. Like they got relatively deep in this show and this little standalone episode. Of course, they wrap it up in their same nonsensical way because this is all a story being told by the Robo Butler. And when it ends, Kai, of course, takes, or Kai, Kaz takes no lessons from it. We also don't know if everything that happened in that story is going to have any kind of fruit bearings when we get back into the the episode of the new season. I also wouldn't be surprised if there's no new season. Like after we got all of that, there's just no new season. Open-ended Ending. This show is weird. It's got bits and pieces of mystical storytelling that I really, really enjoy. Just not in a cohesive or consistent way, but it's silly. And if you get really bored, it's something to do. So, you know, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. So I checked it out. Next weekend or this weekend coming up, we're gonna get the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, uh, or no, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina her Christmas standalone or whatever that means. The trailer for it is using the Cherry Bomb song, but it's a different version. It's a new new newish version. So I appreciated it. I'm very interested to see what's happening there where we're picking up with everybody because when we left everything, Sabrina had turned full dark side. Harvey was slowly but surely becoming a hunter. We had her other besties who were talking to ghosts and seeing in the future. So interested to see where this is gonna move to uh now that sabrina is doomed so excited also it's nice that we're gonna get this so soon especially since the season debuted so recently so i'm interested interested in seeing where that goes um like i said hopefully next week i will be caught up on my hero academia book and be giving you my feels on that as well but basically that's gonna wrap it up for the curvy geeky fangirl recap extravaganza if if there's tv shows or anything that you feel i should include or that you really like watching you think i should start watching hit me up i'm always down for a new show and i like them i like the shows they're good especially if they're superhero situated oh great that trailer for the new avengers so many feelings so many feelings we also have that marvel captain marvel trailer also really good i am interested to see where it's going where this is gonna go for marvel and see what happens there's rumors of a shang chi movie movie what yes if we had to suffer through iron fist you better give us shang chi you had better so we'll see we'll see how that all goes Um, as always you can like and subscribe and listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts if you guys listen to this on anchor you can leave me a nice live and in charge message i may or may not include it into the next podcast otherwise yeah that's pretty much it i will talk to you guys later have a great week bye